0: Part 5 of Lady into Fox by David Garnet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tony Addison. To get back to our story, Mr. Tebrick, having considered how much the appetite of his neighbours would be whetted to find out the mystery, by his remaining in that part of the country, determined that the best thing he could do was to remove. After some time turning the thing over in his mind, he decided that no place would be so good for his purpose as old Nanny's cottage. It was thirty miles away from Stokoe, which, in the country, means as far as Timbuktu does to us in London— Then it was near Tangley, and his lady, having known it from her childhood, would feel at home there, and also it was utterly remote, there being no village near it, or manor-house other than Tangley Hall, which was now untenanted for the greater part of the year. Nor did it mean imparting his secret to others, for there was only Mrs. Cork's son, a widower, who, being out at work all day, would be easily outwitted, the more so as he was stone-deaf, and of a slow and saturnine disposition. To be sure, there was little Polly, Mrs. Cork's granddaughter, but either Mr. Tebrick forgot her altogether, or else reckoned her as a mere baby, and not to be thought of as a danger he talked the thing over with Mrs. Cork, and they decided upon it out of hand. The truth is, the old woman was beginning to regret that her love and her curiosity had ever brought her back to Rylands, since so far she had got much work and little credit by it. When it was settled— mr tebrick disposed of the remaining business he had at rylands in the afternoon and that was chiefly putting out his wife's riding horse into the keeping of a farmer nearby for he thought he would drive over with his own horse and the other spare horse tandem in the dog cart the next morning they locked up the house and they departed having first secured Mrs. Tebrick in a large wicker hamper, where she would be tolerably comfortable. This was for safety, for in the agitation of driving she might jump out, and on the other hand, if a dog scented her and she were loose, she might be in danger of her life. Mr. Tebrick drove with the hamper beside him on the front seat, and spoke to her gently very often. She was overcome by the excitement of the journey, and kept poking her nose first through one crevice, then through another, turning and twisting the whole time, and peeping out to see what they were passing. It was a bitterly cold day, and when they had gone about fifteen miles, they drew up by the roadside to rest the horses, and have their own luncheon, for he dared not stop at an inn. He knew that any living creature in a hamper, even if it be only an old fowl, always draws attention. There would be several loafers, most likely, who would notice that he had a fox with him, and even if he left the hamper in the cart, the dog at the inn would be sure to sniff out her scent. So, not to take any chances, he drew up at the side of the road, and rested there, though it was freezing hard, and a north-east wind howling. He took down his precious hamper, unharnessed his two horses, covered them with rugs, and gave them their corn. Then he opened the basket and let his wife out. She was quite beside herself with joy, running hither and thither, bouncing up on him, looking about her, and even rolling over on the ground. Mr. Tebrick took this to mean that she was glad at making this journey, and rejoiced equally with her. As for Mrs. Cork, she sat motionless on the back seat of the dog-cart, well wrapped up, eating her sandwiches, but would not speak a word. When they had stayed there half an hour Mr. Tebrick harnessed the horses again, though he was so cold he could scarcely buckle the straps, and put his vixen in her basket, but seeing that she wanted to look about her, he let her tear away the osiers with her teeth till she had made a hole big enough for her to put her head out of. They drove on again, and then the snow began to come down, and that in earnest so that he began to be afraid they would never cover the ground. But just after nightfall they got in, and he was content to leave unharnessing the horses and baiting them to Simon, Mrs. Cork's son. His vixen was tired by then as well as he, and they slept together, he in the bed, and she under it, very contentedly. The next morning, He looked about him at the place, and found the thing there that he most wanted, and that was a little walled-in garden, where his wife could run in freedom and yet be in safety. After they had had breakfast, she was wild to go out into the snow, so they went out together, and he had never seen such a mad creature in all his life as his wife was then, For she ran to and fro as if she were crazy, biting at the snow and rolling in it, and round and round in circles, and rushed back at him fiercely as if she meant to bite him. He joined her in the frolic, and began snowballing her till she was so wild that it was all he could do to quiet her again, and bring her indoors for luncheon. Indeed, with her gambolings, she tracked the whole garden over with her feet. He could see where she had rolled in the snow, and where she had danced in it, and looking at those prints of her feet as they went in, made his heart ache, he knew not why. They passed the first day at old Nanny's cottage, happily enough, without their usual bickerings, and this because of the novelty of the snow which had diverted them. In the afternoon, he first showed his wife to little Polly, who eyed her very curiously, but hung back shyly, and seemed a good deal afraid of the fox. But Mr. Tebrick took up a book, and let them get acquainted by themselves, and, presently looking up, saw that they had come together, and Polly was stroking his wife, patting her, and running her fingers through her fur. Presently she began talking to the fox, and then brought her doll in to show her, so that very soon they were very good playmates together. Watching the two gave Mr. Tebrick great delight, and in particular when he noticed that there was something very motherly in his vixen. She was, indeed, far above the child in intelligence, and restrained herself, too, from any hasty action. But while she seemed to wait on Polly's pleasure, yet she managed to give a twist to the game, whatever it was, that never failed to delight the little girl. In short, in a very little while, Polly was so taken with her new playmate, that she cried when she was parted from her, and wanted her always with her. This disposition of Mrs. de Briggs made Mrs. Cork more agreeable than she had been lately either to the husband or the wife. Three days after they had come to the cottage the weather changed, and they woke up one morning to find the snow gone, and the wind in the south, and the sun shining, so that it was like the first beginning of spring. Mr. Tebrick let his vixen out into the garden after breakfast, stayed with her a while, and then went indoors to write some letters. When he got out again, he could see no sign of her anywhere, so that he ran about bewildered calling to her. At last he spied a mound of fresh earth by the wall in one corner of the garden, and, running thither, found that there was a hole freshly dug, seeming to go under the wall. On this he ran out of the garden quickly till he came to the other side of the wall, but there was no hole there, so he concluded that she was not yet got through. So it proved to be, for reaching down into the hole he felt her brush with his hand, and could hear her distinctly working away with her claws. He called to her then, saying, "'Sylvia, Sylvia, why do you do this? Are you trying to escape from me? I am your husband, and if I keep you confined it is to protect you, not to let you run into danger.' Show me how I can make you happy, and I will do it, but do not try to escape from me. I love you, Sylvia. Is it because of that that you want to fly from me, to go into the world, where you will be in danger of your life always? There are dogs everywhere, and they all would kill you if it were not for me. Come out, Sylvia, come out. But Sylvia would not listen to him, so he waited there silent. Then he spoke to her in a different way, asking her, had she forgot the bargain she made with him, that she would not go out alone, but now, when she had all the liberty of a garden to herself, would she wantonly break her word? And he asked her, were they not married? And had she not always found him a good husband to her? But she heeded this neither, until presently his temper getting somewhat out of hand, He cursed her obstinacy, and told her if she would be a damned fox, she was welcome to it. For his part, he could get his own way. She had not escaped yet. He would dig her out, for he still had time, and if she struggled, put her in a bag. These words brought her forth instantly, and she looked at him with as much astonishment, as if she knew not what could have made him angry. Yes, she even fawned on him, but in a good-natured kind of way, as if she were a very good wife, putting up wonderfully with her husband's temper. These airs of hers made the poor gentleman, so simple was he, repent his outburst and feel most ashamed. But for all that, when she was out of the hole, he filled it up with great stones, and beat them in with a crowbar so she should find her work at that point harder than before, if she was tempted to begin it again. In the afternoon he let her go again into the garden, but sent little Polly with her to keep her company. But presently, on looking out, he saw his vixen had climbed up into the limbs of an old pear-tree, and was looking over the wall, and was not so far from it, but she might jump over it, if she could get a little further. Mr. Tebrick ran out into the garden as quick as he could, and when his wife saw him, it seemed she was startled, and made a false spring at the wall, so that she missed reaching it, and fell back heavily to the ground, and lay there insensible. When Mr. Tebrick got up to her, he found her head was twisted under her by her fall, and the neck seemed to be broken. The shock was so great to him, that for some time he could not do anything, but knelt beside her, turning her limp body stupidly in his hands. At length he recognised that she was indeed dead, and beginning to consider what dreadful afflictions God had visited him with, he blasphemed horribly, and called on God to strike him dead, or give his wife back to him. "'Is it not enough?' he cried, adding a foul, blasphemous oath that you should rob me of my dear wife, making her a fox, but now you must rob me of that fox too, that has been my only solace and comfort in this affliction. Then he burst into tears, and began wringing his hands, and continued there, in such an extremity of grief for half an hour, that he cared nothing, neither what he was doing, nor what would become of him in the future, but only knew that his life was ended now and he would not live any longer than he could help. All this while, the little girl Polly stood by, first staring, then asking him what had happened, and lastly crying with fear. But he never heeded her, nor looked at her, but only tore his hair, sometimes shouted at God, or shook his fist at heaven. So, in a fright, Polly opened the door, and ran out of the garden. At length, worn out, and as it were all numb with his loss, Mr. Tebrick got up and went within doors, leaving his dear fox lying near where she had fallen. He stayed indoors only two minutes, and then came out again with a razor in his hand, intending to cut his own throat, for he was out of his senses in this first paroxysm of grief but his vixen was gone, at which he looked about for a moment bewildered, and then enraged, thinking that somebody must have taken the body. The door of the garden being open, he ran straight through it. Now this door, which had been left ajar by Polly when she ran off, opened into a little courtyard, where the fowls were shut in at night. The woodhouse and the privy also stood there. On the far side of it, from the garden gate, were two large wooden doors, big enough when open to let a cart enter, and high enough to keep a man from looking over into the yard. When Mr. Tebrick got into the yard, he found his vixen leaping up at these doors, and wild with terror, but as lively as ever he saw her in his life. He ran up to her, but she shrank away from him, and would then have dodged him too, but he caught hold of her. She bared her teeth at him, but he paid no heed to that, only picked her straight up into his arms, and took her so indoors. Yet all the while he could scarce believe his eyes to see her living, and felt her all over very carefully, to find if she had not some bones broken. But no, he could find none. Indeed, it was some hours before this poor, silly gentleman— began to suspect the truth, which was that his vixen had practised a deception upon him, and all the time he was bemoaning his loss in such heart-rending terms, she was only shamming death to run away directly she was able. If it had not been that the yard gates were shut, which was a mere chance, she had got her liberty by that trick. And that this was only a trick of hers to sham dead, was plain when he had thought it over. Indeed, it is an old and time-honoured trick of the fox. It is in Aesop, and a hundred other writers have confirmed it since. But so thoroughly had he been deceived by her, that at first he was as much overcome with joy at his wife still being alive, as he had been with grief a little while before, thinking her dead. He took her in his arms, hugging her to him and thanking God a dozen times for her preservation. But his kissing and fondling her had very little effect now, for she did not answer him by licking or soft looks, but stayed huddled up and sullen, with her hair bristling on her neck, and her ears laid back every time he touched her. At first he thought this might be because He had touched some broken bone or tender place where she had been hurt, but at last the truth came to him. Thus he was again to suffer, and though the pain of knowing her treachery to him was nothing to the grief of losing her, yet it was more insidious and lasting. At first, from a mere nothing, this pain grew gradually until it was a torture to him, if he had been one of your stock ordinary husbands, such a one who, by experience, has learnt never to inquire too closely into his wife's doings, her comings or goings, and never to ask her how she has spent the day, for fear he should be made the more of a fool. Had Mr. Tobrick been such a one, he had been luckier, and his pain would have been almost nothing. But you must consider— that he had never been deceived once by his wife in the course of their married life. No, she had never told him as much as one white lie, but had always been frank, open, and ingenuous, as if she and her husband were not husband and wife, or, indeed, of opposite sexes. Yet we must rate him as very foolish, that living thus with a fox which beast has the same reputation for deceitfulness, craft, and cunning in all countries, all ages, and amongst all races of mankind, he should expect this fox to be as candid and honest with him in all things as the country girl he had married. His wife's sullenness and bad temper continued that day, for she cowered away from him and hid under the sofa, nor could he persuade her to come out from there. Even when it was her dinner time she stayed, refusing resolutely to be tempted out with food, and lying so quiet that he heard nothing from her for hours. At night he carried her up to the bedroom, but she was still sullen and refused to eat a morsel, though she drank a little water during the night, when she fancied he was asleep. End of part five.